the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. So listeners, you know, we all are facing this worldwide catastrophe, the coronavirus. And of course, I feel really bad for everyone who suffers from it, those who've suffered from it and don't know yet because they haven't been tested. And certainly the tragedy of those who are no longer with us. As we do this show, a total of over 200,000 people have been infected. And possibly here, they're talking about up to 3% don't survive, but it may be closer to 1% when more cases are recorded. I've never lived through anything in my life. And what I think about, I'll just tell you two things here. Number one, I take a mild blood pressure medication because they changed the guidelines to make them lower. And it's called Losartan. It is one of the drugs being tested as a possible cure for coronavirus, just one of them. So I don't know if that helps or not, but there it is. But I'll make a comment here because we've got our guest, Sarah Scholes, in abeyance here. She's written a book called They Are Already Here, UFO Culture and Why We See Saucers. And we'll get to that in a very brief moment. But I was thinking here, Sarah, and Kurt Collins also is with us for a while on this episode. I was thinking here, guys, we have the Space Brothers allegedly coming here to help mankind straighten itself out. So we have wars. We have all the problems with refugees in Syria and elsewhere. We have the problem with people in Central American countries fleeing to the U.S. because of horrible living conditions. We have now the coronavirus. Thousands of people have died. Hundreds of thousands of people, maybe more, are being infected. With all this, E.T. is sitting there on the sidelines after exhorting us to be peaceful. So I think E.T. is feckless. That's it, folks. With all of the cooperation that's going on now throughout the world, with everybody coming together to try to stop this, who knows? Sarah, you were going to have a comment. Oh, I mean, I think I think I agree with that. Maybe this is they're just watching to see if we can maybe turn ourselves around and be a little bit nicer to each other if we face some really bad circumstances. I don't know. Well, then they're taking responsibility for the deaths of lots of people. That's true. You're going to have to talk to them about that. Well, that assumes they know how to fix it. Uh, well, there's been the conspiracy that they're behind it. And of course, if we look at some of the mythology that goes all the way back to, say, ancient Egypt, these strange beings, otherworldly beings, were responsible for plagues and such. So who really knows for sure? How about how this uh, this virus, though, has affected people's lives? I mean, you, you know, I'm basically a, a recluse and, and work in the, my home office all the time. So it hasn't really changed things for me. But my wife, for example, works in the office. They've had to send all the workers to work from home. And for me, there's been basically no change. But how's it affected things with you guys? Well, I work at home most of the time. On the side, I occasionally try to raise extra cash with Uber. And lift. And frankly speaking, that's troublesome. I spray my car with Lysol, which at least on the surface, at least can kill viruses of this nature. But I have no idea if I'm taking a passenger who's infected. I'm only hoping my blood pressure medicine helps out. It is taking a chance. But I otherwise work at home. Kurt, you work at home. Randall, you work at home pretty much, right? Sarah, you had uh, your book tour was torpedoed by this, right? 
Yeah, I uh, normally I work from home, so this wouldn't affect my work life very much. But yeah, I had some in-person events for the book that were canceled and some radio interviews where people needed to do, you know, breaking news coverage of, of the pandemic, rightfully so. But um, yeah, here in Denver, lots of stuff is shut down. Lots of people have lost their jobs. Yeah, it's not a good it's not a good scene. But at, at least here, I think people are obeying the idea that we should all stay away from each other and maybe just play video games and read the ufo internet for a little while you have the side effect folks of there being fewer arguments that's true you know i hate to to say it but you know i hopefully everything is going to work out in the end but in the meantime there are some people with some free time that they otherwise wouldn't have had you know I went to the movie last uh, Sunday, which, by the way, was a big screen showing a King Kong. It was great. But then the next day, the theater shut down. So you can't go to the movies, at least not here. You got to do something. So there is an opportunity for some useful research or reading. I don't know if that's much of a silver lining, but we've got that going for us. We're signed up with Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, Apple TV Plus. Get all that stuff or go to iTunes or voodoo.com and rent some recent movies. Listen, Sarah, we really appreciate you coming on the show on short notice. And I'm sorry that the book tours didn't work out. And I hope things will be there in the future. But you have this book. They are already here. And I'm looking at your credentials and the things that you've done. And you've been interviewed just about everywhere so far. And we're just going to add to that. But why or how did you come to write this book? Yeah, well, first, thanks for having me. I'm I'm glad to be here. And um, I think my book tour is much less important than the pandemic. So I feel OK about it. But the way I did get started on it is, um, you know, UFOs were not really a part of my life before December 2017, when the big New York Times story that I'm sure we're all familiar with came out about the Pentagon's UFO research program. I was um, doing some stories for Wired magazine at the time, and um, my boss just said, you know, this, this seems interesting. Do you want to kind of look into it? And so I just started going through the story and trying to, um, you know, figure out things for myself. And uh, in the course of that research, I met a lot of people in the UFO community and in the kind of scholarship community around it. And they were not who I thought they would be. Um, I met a lot of people who were doing really great research. And I was just interested in what it was that made people, um, you know, like you, you all be interested in this in the first place and put put so much effort there. And so to try to answer that question is why I embarked on this in the first place. What did you expect of anything when you started out? Any expectations at all? I try not to have too many expectations because I feel like as a reporter, it's my job to kind of go in with as much of a blank slate as I can, or at least just with the information I can have and then form conclusions later. So, but, but the theme that emerged first and that kind of stuck around is that UFO research is kind of the problem that keeps on giving because there's always, there's always a new mystery. There's always also, you know, an old historical mystery. And so people who like problem solving and deep research can always keep themselves really occupied. Now, looking at it in general here, a lot of us have looked at the UFO culture and found it either eccentric, fascinating, and some people just regard us and others as a bunch of crazies. I totally admit to being crazy, Sarah. 
<laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> okay, just a good start because I'm looking at your background here, and you've certainly done a lot of work for the scientific community. You were an associate. You was an associate editor for astronomy. So you definitely have a solid scientific background. And one of the things, of course, that is lacking in the UFO field, except for very few exceptions, is the involvement of people involved uh, as scientists. So going into that, were you looking at the possibility that UFOs are real or strictly the kind of people attracted to its study? Um, I started by looking at the kind of people attracted to its study and sp specifically the people who were kind of looking at it from a scientific viewpoint. But I feel like you can't really investigate that with al without also opening yourself up to the possibility of UFOs being real. Like, I also have to keep kind of a blank slate about that and be, you know, willing to be open to evidence and open to people's experiences and, and data that they might have. So that was part of it. I didn't think that, you know, I got to spend a year and a half on this book. People have spent decades researching UFOs, and I didn't think that I was going to blaze in here and solve solve all the mysteries and find out if they were real and if they were aliens in a year and a half. But um, I, w I was open to the idea. Okay, Sarah. We have Sarah Scholes. We have Kurt Collins. We have Gene and Randall. You're in. The Paracast. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy. We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items. And entails t-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the Paracast jumbo tote bag, all sorts of t-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a Paracast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.thepowercast.com, store.thepowercast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, you know, great T-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children, stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the Paracast. You go to store.thepowercast.com. Stop by and take a shopping tour. Attention, fellow Americans. We are now at an all-time high risk of illnesses due to pathogens and viruses. So it's critical to take a proactive approach to boost your immune system. Do it with new nanocolloidal silver from AmeriCare. Using a patented process with tiny silver particles one one-hundredth the size of a red blood cell that allows for maximum absorption, AmeriCare's nanocolloidal silver effectively disinfects your body internally, attacking pathogens and viruses while supercharging your immune system. Colloidal silver is antibacterial and antiviral. Simply put, it inhibits bacterial respiration, suffocating viral cells, preventing the virus from replicating. And now, due to public health concern, AmeriCare is authorized to offer our lowest and best price ever at around a dollar a day. But supplies are limited. Purchase nanocolloidal silver now at ImmuneSupportNow.com. That's ImmuneSupportNow.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Supplies are limited.
Do you feel like many of us? All the distractions in the world taking our minds and focus off what really needs to get done day to day? Well, Jeunesse has a dietary supplement called Mind to help with mental distraction and it supports memory function. Go to GCNLife.com now to check it out. You're only at your best when your mind is at its best. Go to GCNLife.com or call toll free 844-443-6637. That's GCNLife.com or 844-443-6637. Hey! Hey everyone, Proactive MD has an incredible offer for our radio listeners only. Stay tuned for our exclusive offer that includes a free charcoal pore cleansing brush and free shipping. Proactive MD with prescription strength adapalene can heal and prevent future breakouts. Today, for just $19.95, we're offering listeners the three-piece Proactive MD system with free shipping plus a free gift, the new charcoal pore cleansing brush. Get this exclusive offer by calling now, 1-800-583-8662 or go to Proactive.com and enter promo code radio you heard right proactive md plus free shipping and a free gift the new charcoal pore cleansing brush you'll get all this for just $19.95 and their 60-day money-back guarantee you're guaranteed to get clear and stay clear or you get your money back call now 1-800-583-8662 that's 1-800-583-8662 or go to proactive.com and enter promo code radio again go to proactive.com and enter promo code radio one in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. I don't want to give spoilers here or prejudge the book, but coming into it, did you have any opinions at all with regard to UFO reality, Sarah? Yeah, I think I came in with a pretty typical science community mindset, which was just that, well, obviously, since I started the book, I thought there was something worth paying attention to, but that I had never seen any evidence myself that that I thought was very hard, hard evidence or um, very compelling. And so I think I had just kind of dismissed the whole topic before that, really. I, I thought when when you talk to scientists, I think what they say, things like that, you know, I've never seen anything that convinced me, therefore I don't need to pay attention. But something that was interesting to me in kind of getting away from that mindset was the idea that, you know, it only really takes one very mysterious object in the sky to make UFO reality really reality. So a scientist could look at 999,000 things and say, oh, we can figure out what those are. And then all it takes is is one. And I think for me, the big change was, was admitting that there could be a one, um, even if I hadn't seen it yet. Something I would like to ask, probably maybe a little off topic, but what was it like for you to work at the Green Bank Radio Telescope as an educator there? 
because this is really well known amongst astronomers and anyone who does a bit of ufology homework. I believe uh, it was Yuri Milner uh, commissioned it to see if there were any signals coming off of Oumuamua. And uh, the whole place has just fascinated me. Can you tell us a bit about it? Sure, yeah. Working in education at Green Bank was my first job out of graduate school. I started when I was about 24. Um, so for people who don't know, the Green Bank Telescope is a radio telescope in pretty remote West Virginia, and there's a lot of restrictions on the kinds of devices and things that you can have because they interfere with the telescope. So while I was living there, I didn't have a cell phone. I didn't have Wi-Fi. I didn't have a microwave. Um, and so it's a little bit like, you know, living in a different era and it's just a very small town and um yeah when i was there i was in charge of helping out with kids science camps so they would come and use one of the old telescopes and do projects over the weekend or for a science camp over the course of a couple of weeks and it was great to introduce kids and sometimes college students to the idea that there's this whole universe out there that you can't see with your eyes, but that it emits these these radio waves that these telescopes can, can pick up. And the Yuri Milner project started after I had left there. I wasn't working there anymore when they began that, but it's, it's pretty cool. They do, um, they looked at Oumuamua, which I feel like I always say wrong, and they are all the time collecting tons of data from lots of star systems to see if they can see some kind of evidence of an alien broadcast. For Green Bank, that's really going back to their roots because the very first searches for extraterrestrial intelligence happened there back in the 1960s. So it's kind of full circle for Green Bank. I wonder here, Sarah, and this is obviously a little bit aside from what we're talking about, when we try to listen to a possible alien transmission, of course, we have the situation here where, depending on the distance of that planet, it may have happened decades or centuries ago. And the second thing mm -hmm. is, would we even have the equipment to pick it up? We don't know what technology they could be using. I'm not talking about subspace radio, and you know what I mean. Sure. Yeah, no, that's a that's a good question. And I think it's one the astronomers think about a lot. You know, we think maybe the aliens would broadcast using radio waves or now we think maybe with lasers. But that's basically because those are the technologies that we have and what we use to communicate. But there's there's no really, really good reason for us to think that that is what they would use. Actually, the head, the, the woman who was the head of the search for extraterrestrial intelligence for a long time, her name is Jill Tarter. She, um, when people ask this question, likes to say something like, you know, why aren't we searching for zeta rays? Of course, the person will say, I don't know, what are zeta rays? And then she will say, I don't know either, but they could be what an extraterrestrial civilization would use. And it's something we haven't even discovered yet we don't know about, so we can't possibly search for it. But I think the thinking is that you have to start somewhere. Um, and so you might as well start with what you know. And uh, then as you get more creative and your own technology evolves, you can kind of come up with more creative solutions. But even a radio broadcast from an alien civilization, there's no guarantee that we would recognize it, even if it was coming in this kind of traditional way. And also no guarantee that we could figure out what it means, given that we have no, you know, shared background with whoever the aliens are or are not. But it's a very interesting question, I think. Right. It's uh, it speaks to the whole Fermi paradox to some degree. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And um, 
Yeah. Because if, we, if, I mean, if they're not using radio, then we wouldn't be detecting them. And that might be one explanation for why, although there should be extra signs of extraterrestrial intelligence out there, that we still just haven't picked it up yet. Yeah, absolutely. That's a pretty, um, I like that explanation for the Fermi paradox because it means they could still be out there. And, well, oh, at least you'd like it. At least you're, uh, this, <laughs> you know, this brings up another thing in your book. You, you sort of cover in your book briefly some of the culture and, well, I shouldn't say some of the culture. I'd say you, you really delve into some of the culture. It's mainly about the culture. And, of course, you mentioned the X-Files and the I want to believe. The the I want to believe syndrome. <laughs> One person you were saying called it that. And um, why do people want to believe? And and when did belief become sort of one of those um, shame words in science? <laughs> oh, that's a that's a question for a historian. Um, but I mean, I think there's something very inherent to being human in wanting to believe like it's it's part of human nature to want to believe in something and especially in something that's better or more powerful than you and you know maybe that's religion maybe that's aliens maybe it's just science like as an institution i think people treat um science as an institution like a belief system a lot of times and i i do think uh that the word belief has gotten kind of a bad rap in a lot of the scientific community. And that was actually something that I came around to in, in, in working on the book, that it's not that, you know, people, people get to believe whatever they want. And if it is something that, you know, adds something to their life and also is something they truly can't know, like, as far as we know, there's not a way right now for us to know if the aliens are out there, if, if UFOs are here right now, um, the only option, if, if you want to think about them this way is to believe in them. And um, yeah, I don't think that's bad. I just think it's different from, from the way that we treat lots of scientific claims. I found that quite interesting when you, when you were saying is that you, you don't want to believe you want to know. And so I've been trying to determine exactly what the difference is there. And I'm having a bit of a tough time with that because for me, it all boils down to evidence. We're going to be missing out on a few things if we don't stop here for some pieces of business. Sarah Scholes, Kurt Collins, Gene and Randall, you're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Do the letters IRS give you anxiety? I'm Dan Pilla. I've defended people from the IRS for more than 40 years. My book, How to Get Tax Amnesty, created the tax resolution industry and is responsible for helping hundreds of thousands of people. It can help you, too. If you're a non-filer or facing IRS enforcement right now, your case is unique. You need real help, not cookie-cutter advice. My clients get my personal attention. Buy my book at danpilla.com and get a free consultation directly with me. That's danpilla.com. Let's start solving your tax problem right now. 
Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but soon you'll need a plan and place to survive. Forget bunkers. You're not a live-underground gopher. You need Survivalist Camps, the ultimate fully functional, off-the-grid mobile survival bug-out house that's well-equipped and custom-built to outlast any other RV or trailer. Bold statement? You bet. See them now at survivalistcamps.com. That's survivalistcamps.com. Trust your family's survival to survivalistcamps.com. USA Radio News with Wendy King. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo says state officials are searching the world for medical supplies as coronavirus cases soar above 10,000 in that state. New York is reviewing four possible locations for temporary hospitals. New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy is taking a stand. You can still take a walk outside, go buy groceries or get takeout from the local restaurant you want to support. But if you do, continue to practice social distancing. But otherwise, we need you to stay at home. President Trump says he's glad to see that Congress is making progress on a bill to help the stalled economy. I think the Democrats and the Republicans are going to come up with a package that's going to be really something very special. It's going to help people. This is the first time there's ever been a case where you want people not to work. It's always, you know, you want to create incentive to work. This is USA Radio News. If you owe $10,000 or more to the IRS and you cannot afford to make payments to the IRS, you may qualify for the CNC tax program. This is a new program, and if you qualify, you won't make any payments to the IRS while in this program. Once you're accepted into this program, the IRS is forced to stop all harassing collection activities. No threatening phone calls, no wage garnishments, no bank levies, and no more monthly payments to the IRS. Get ready to write this number down. It's the most important number you'll ever need to end your IRS tax nightmare. Call Paramount Tax Relief at 800-547-4804 for a free confidential consultation to find out if you qualify for the CNC tax program. Once you are accepted into the CNC tax program, you won't make any payments to the IRS while in this program. Call Paramount Tax Relief now at 800-547-4804. That's 800-547-4804. Again, 800-547-4804. If you have diabetes and you're on Medicare, Medicaid, or have private insurance, you may qualify for a new continuous glucose monitor. Managing your diabetes is crucial to your health. The new CGM can automatically and easily help you manage your diabetes more effectively. And by using a CGM, you can eliminate the one thing most people with diabetes dislike the most, finger sticks. Now you can automatically manage your diabetes and end the painful finger sticks. Solara Medical Supplies makes it simple for you to have a new CGM. We'll do all the insurance paperwork for you and deliver the newest in diabetic care technology right to your door. Take charge of your diabetes today with the help of a new continuous glucose monitor. Call now to learn more. 800-547-5331-800-547-5331-800-547-5331. That's 800-547-5331. This is Big the Merciless. You are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio, exactly according to my plan. Okay, you are in the middle of asking a question of our guest, Sarah Scholes, J. Randall Murphy. Would you please continue? 
Sure. Yeah. Just before the break, we were just on the trail of coming to the difference between knowing and believing. And I was saying that it all boils down to evidence. And what belief seems to be to me is evidence that is sufficient to justify belief in a claim. For some people, the evidence is more. When they get that evidence, then they know. So where do we draw the line exactly? Knowing and believing seems to become the same thing at some point. Yeah, I see where you're coming from in that. I think of belief as something where you don't have enough evidence to prove your claim kind of unequivocally. So like if if a if an alien spaceship landed here and an alien got out and we tested their genetic material and we said okay that's not DNA that's something else then you wouldn't have to believe that they were an alien and they drove a spaceship here because we would have evidence to prove it so then you could know it. But I guess what you're saying is for some people to go from belief to knowledge they would need less information than than that is am I interpreting that right? I'm seeing that sort of you're equating the word belief with faith, because faith would be the absence of the evidence needed to justify belief in a claim, whereas uh, knowing would be having evidence sufficient to justify belief in a claim. Yeah, I could I could take that as a semantic criticism of, of where I'm coming from. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, I mean, yeah. It's... No. That, no. That's that's fair. I think I think to have a belief, you don't have to have you don't have to right. have the evidence, but you can you can have a belief with the evidence. So um, yeah. No, I think that's fair. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't get a chance that often to go into things. To that level of detail, I think Kurt's got another question here, though, too. So no, it's it's the same same area. Before we lift the the topic of belief, so one of the one of the most ridiculous questions that I think people ask is, "Do you believe in UFOs?" And the reason I think that's ridiculous, it's like asking, "Do you believe in unsolved crimes?" There are definitely UFOs out there. So what I wanted to ask you, Sarah, was. Okay, saying something that is a UFO, and it, now I know Randall has strong opinions about this particular term, but UFO is is an unidentified object in the loose, very loose sense of the word. What do scientists think about unidentified objects, and and can they at least kind of meet halfway and say yes, there are things out there that maybe need study? without committing to the fact that it might be interdimensional or extraterrestrial. You know, can can you get them to uh, at least approach the topic from um, a problem-solving point of view? Yeah, I think they, like like most of the rest of at least English English-speaking society, get caught up in the fact that UFO has the connotation of something, like you said, interdimensional or extraterrestrial. But if you if you sat them down and said, "Listen, that's not what I'm talking about. That's a particular hypothesis about one type of thing that this might be." What I'm talking about is things in the sky that people can't identify. And if you said, "That's what I'm talking about," then I think they would agree that. Um, I mean, they would have to agree that people see things that they can't explain because we have, you know, thousands and thousands of pieces of data that show that people see things they can't explain. I think I've seen some scientists talking about at least at least admitting the idea that maybe there's some interesting atmospheric phenomenon going on that could explain some of this. Um, so I think I think they're willing to engage with the topic to some extent if you can take it out of the 
the cultural cultural baggage that comes with it. Um, and I think maybe that's what people are trying to do when they introduce the kind of contentious term UAP, unidentified aerial phenomena, is kind of take away all the connotations that come with the old term. But so I think scientists at a very like basic level would admit that UFOs are real if we're talking about the strict definition. Well, okay, but there we go with terminology again. And and like <laughs> Curtis says, I mean, he knows what I'm going to say. <laughs> and that is and, and he actually, warned you, me. Yeah. 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 He he actually, and yeah, actually, you cover this uh to some extent in your book when you talk about Air Force Regulation 202. Now, when we get looking at that, we're not talking about opinions anymore. We're talking about some very specific regulations and definitions in depth that were created by the people who created the term UFO in the first place. And so for me, I tend to go with that sort of a historical look at where things came from. Instead of just saying, well, it's just my opinion that the words that make up the acronym or the literal translation of the word. It, that's not the case. And we know that there are plenty of acronyms that are out there that are not like that. UFO is no exception. It is anything but something that is simply unidentified. This is not some vague light off in the distance, especially when we get looking at AFR 202. In fact, it makes it very plain that the only thing that they're looking for is anything that is not natural or man-made that we can in any way even presume might be natural or man-made so in other words even things like aircraft flares jet exhaust condensation trails blinking lights steady lights observed at a distance this is this is coming right out of it even aircraft near airports or things that might be interpreted as an aircraft near an airport were not to be reported as ufos they were making it plain that they were looking for something out of this world something really different something they don't know anything about and that fits with the everyday definition that everybody uses some sort of an alien craft of some kind maybe from another star system maybe interstellar we don't know where it's coming from but Go on the internet, have a look, type in UFO. You see pictures of flying saucers and ships from out of this world. That's what it does mean. That's what we're dealing with here. Something very extraordinary or out of this world. And that goes all the way back to the official definitions. So what I've seen is people like Neil deGrasse Tyson go, oh, no, it just means it's some identified object. Who knows what it could be? It could be anything. That is not correct. It's a misnomer and it's a misrepresentation of what it is we're really looking for. Randall, before we go any further, something kind of interesting is, you know, I think you make a good case there. But do you happen to recall what uh, division of the Air Force ran the UFO investigations? Well, it was out of Wright-Patterson, and uh, there was, I believe they were involved in the Foreign Technology Division and exactly. the Air, that's where, Air Technical that's, Intelligence Center. No, you, uh, you hit it there. Foreign Technology Division. And one of the things they did was study um, the aircraft of foreign nations. And it's if they did get a hold of a flying saucer from outer space, that's the kind of technology they would certainly be interested in to get an edge. So that, that, that's all I wanted to touch on there. Oh, yeah. Well, oh, definitely, Curtis. You're absolutely right. And those were the people 
who were scientists, engineers. They were the people who were charged with deciding whether or not these reports that were coming in from people represented something that was truly extraordinary or just something mundane. But let's not leave Sarah out of this. <laughs> <laughs> can, I, can I ask a question of you guys? Oh, yeah, this? absolutely. Yeah. So then what do you make of this attempt to change the term to UAP? Is that an attempt to to get back to these non-terrestrial explanations and take, you know, take the word back from the Neil deGrasse Tysons of the world? Or is it is it an attempt to do the opposite, in your opinion? Oh, really interesting. Gene, you have probably. Let's start with Gene. What do you think? Define that. UAP. You know what? Aerospace phenomena. Aerial phenomena, aerospace phenomena. I think it dates back to originally when we changed the words flying saucers to UFOs. And the reason, of course, it was done by Captain Edward Ruppelt was to make the subject seem more respectable. You can say flying saucers, ha, 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 UFOs, wait a minute, maybe we can take it seriously. We'll take this seriously and get back to this. Sarah, Jean, Randall, and Kurt, you're in the Paracast. You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Complement your health with hemp-derived cannabinoid oil. We've always believed that the closer to Earth, the better it is for our bodies. Our hemp-derived cannabinoid oil is phytocannabinoid-rich, full-spectrum, and organically grown. Finally, hemp made easy, clean, and effective. GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. That's right, we cut through the red tape. It's now available at GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. We've all seen and perhaps use the alcohol-based hand sanitizers. Have you noticed how it dries your skin and as soon as the alcohol evaporates, it's no longer effective? GCNteam.com has alcohol-free antibacterial soap and foam meeting or exceeding all requirements set forth by the United States Food and Drug Administration. Come to GCNteam.com. Keyword antibacterial or call 877-878-4203. Message and data rates may apply. Help! Seriously, I'm too young for hair loss. My hairline keeps creeping back. Receding? I got this bald spot. Uh, it's thinning everywhere. I'm gonna have to give up and shave it. Dude. 
put down the razor because Bosley, America's number one hair restoration expert, is about to give you your real hair back permanently. Don't ignore the signs of hair loss. Bosley is giving away an absolutely free information kit that reveals all the signs and a free gift card to anyone who texts KIT88 to 85850. Bosley will show you for free how great your hair could look. Using the latest technology, Bosley's solution to hair loss is permanent and protected by the Bosley Guarantee. Plus, since Bosley has new non-surgical options, you owe it to yourself to text now for an absolutely free information kit and a gift card for $250 off, no matter what level of hair loss you have. Text KIT88 to 85850. K-I-T-88 to 85850. Jake was in big trouble with the IRS. He owed how much? Ninety-two thousand dollars ouch the irs left no room for jake to breathe they put a lien on my house took all the money out of my bank account took money out of my paychecks so it was a nightmare he needed help fast i figured that all these companies were the same until i called federal tax management you could just tell they knew what they were talking about right then and there i felt like i had some hope stop the liens levies and garnishments fast and qualify for one of several special irs programs that could reduce or even eliminate your tax debt so how'd it go for jake they did what they said they would do. They came through for me. I ended up saving an unbelievable amount. I was so jazzed. I was extremely happy. If you owe more than $10,000 in back taxes, take Jake's advice. Give federal tax management a phone call. If they help me, they can help anybody. Call the federal tax management hotline now. 800-503-8625. 800-503-8625. 800-503-8625. Hi, this is Bryce Abel. I'm the producer of Dark Skies, the co-author of AD After Disclosure, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. But UFOs has its baggage now because it's gone on for, what, 60 years or so. By calling them UAPs, you, in a sense, divorce yourself from the stench of UFOs, it's not tainted in the same way that UFOs took you away from flying saucers. You're trying to make it more respectable. I recall this interview that Hillary Clinton did during the 16 presidential campaign on one of the all-night shows. And she says, yes, they're called UAPs now, recognizing the difference from UFOs. So again, it's a matter of respectability. And if it becomes like UFOs 10 years from now, they'll come up with something else. I think it stinks. And I'll tell you why. (laughs) So flying saucers sounds like an alien spacecraft. And also it implies a specific, the fact that it's a shape and that it's a vehicle. Okay, I can understand. So then go to to the UFO and that refers to an object. But then it says that it's flying. Well, okay. I can understand why the Air Force is concerned with a flying object. But then when you change it to unidentified, what is it? (laughs) Phenomenon? Aerial. Okay, that means it's in the air. It doesn't say that it's propelled. That can be, oh, like some luminous cloud or something or some unexplained light. It doesn't mean that it's a craft at all. Then you can include that. to. There are things like they used to call them spook lights. Like uh, there's this, uh, I don't know how to pronounce it, Heshtalin is how you say that, or the brown mountain lights and the Marfa lights. Well, those are like low quality things. And some of them have even been blamed on things like like train headlights or, or automobile headlights. And you're just lowering the bar for what's a UFO 
to make things worse, and this rant's almost over, the Navy is using this term UAP interchangeably with an unidentified drone. It's no better. In fact, I think it's muddier a term than UFO. So I don't think we're gaining any. And besides, from a writer's standpoint, if you say UAP, you're going to have to put in parentheses, you know, UFO. So you can't you're not getting away from it. Yeah, I happen to agree with both Gene and Curtis. I think it's rather pretentious. It's an attempt to make people who use the word UAP seem to be taking the phenomena seriously, and therefore they should get some air of respectability, whereas the rest of us are a bunch of tinfoil hat wearing, you know, UFO nuts type of thing. And so I stick with the uh, the original USAF definition because I know that they were seriously looking into it from as much of a scientific perspective as they could, given what they had back in the day. And they put together regulations that made it very clear that they were looking for something extraordinary or out of this world. And that's good enough for me. I think that's the core of the phenomena. But Sarah, what you've done is you've taken a look at ufology from more of a cultural perspective. And I think that that's a really important evolution away from the science that has to be taken into consideration when you're looking at ufology. We've got other people like Paul Kingsbury, for example, who is looking at it from a social perspective as well. I think it's really important, and I love the way you do that in your book. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I think that was the approach I decided to take because, like I said, I was not um, arrogant enough to think that I was going to solve all of the mysteries in a year and a half. And also, you know, I've I've come under some criticism for looking at it from that kind of cultural anthropological viewpoint. It's not meant to be insulting to the community at all to to say that here are these cultural aspects that might be influencing the way people are thinking about and researching UFOs because that's true in anything. Like it's true of artists, it's true of scientists, it's true of politicians. Everybody is operating within their own culture and it it's it's an important part of any kind of discipline. I think that's where I was coming from doing it. Do you think then that entering UFO research meets a personal need beyond curiosity? Um, uh, yeah, I think that it, I mean, I think it gets at really fundamental human questions. If, if we're coming at it from the extraterrestrial viewpoint, um, you know, trying to answer the questions, are we alone? What's the nature of reality for some people? What's the nature of consciousness? I mean, I think, I guess those are curiosity questions, but um, only curiosity in the same way that a scientist would think of curiosity, where you just want to solve a mystery that's out there. Um, and I mean, I do think for some for some people, not all people, um, it also does kind of satisfy a kind of spiritual need, I think, to go after something that is bigger and more powerful than you. So not in a traditionally religious way or anything, but it, it fills a kind of philosophical part in people's lives. And I think also like there's a really cool community around UFOs. Um, I went to, you know, local UFO meetup groups or conferences or things like that. And it's, I, you know, I had fun. I think it's kind of like any other interest. It's curiosity, personal connection, and then interpersonal connection with the bonus that maybe you could be in on um, either a great military secret or a great extraterrestrial secret. You mentioned connection. 
you interviewed me, several other people studying the topic. You went to a lot of conferences. And one of the things that I heard you mention was that you not only talked to the Pentagon spokesperson, you actually uh, met him in person. How did that go? Yeah, I did. Yeah, right after the December 2017 revelations came out about the about ATIP, I thought, you know, I had been talking to the Pentagon on the phone and by email and anytime you're speaking to a government agency in in one of those ways, it's you know, it's not very personal. Everybody's doing their government speak and I'm doing reporter speak and I thought, you know, I wonder how far I could get just by going there. And talking human to human. So I, I asked if I could come visit the Pentagon. And a cool thing about being a reporter is that a lot of times people say yes uh, to that. Yeah, I went and met with Major Audricia Harris, who I think is now a lieutenant colonel um, in a different division. Yeah, for people who haven't who haven't been inside the Pentagon, uh, when you first enter and go through the security, give them your social security number and they check you out and everything right after that, you enter a gift shop, just like (laughs) any other place you would go where you can buy some Pentagon t-shirts and Pentagon magnets. Yeah. Then I just, you know, it wasn't a long meeting, um, with, uh, at the time, Major Harris. And uh, we did, we spoke uh, a little bit, just, just human to human, but then at the end of the day, all I could have on the record were some of the same kinds of statements that I'd already gotten. Um, But then I also did go back maybe a year after that, just to see if there were any updates she could provide on the program. And um, I did buy a magnet this time, but I did (laughs) not get any updates on the program. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's an interesting place, although once you get inside and past the gift shop, it's a lot just like being in any other office, I think. Well, tell us about the conversation. Was she happy to be asked UFO questions? Yeah, she was. I can't I can't say too many of the details of the conversation um, since it was uh, it was on background, but um I, uh, she was, uh, you know, very happy to talk to me, uh, very happy to meet with me, um, gave me about half an hour of her time, both times, which I think was a lot for someone who was in charge of a whole portfolio of, of things at the Pentagon. And she, you know, she was not, uh, she was not angry or, uh, evasive at all. She, um, it seemed to me like the Pentagon was at, at least at the time, I think things have changed as interested in finding the answers about what this program was as anyone else, because, um, it seemed, I can't, I can't, uh, fully verify that this is true that, you know, this, they hadn't been aware of this, uh, very much ahead of time. Um, at, at the spokesperson level. And so they were trying to get the the paperwork and get briefed on what was actually going on. And so they were invested in finding the same answers as I was. Um, and then as time went on, it became harder to talk to the Pentagon. The last time I was there was October of 2018, I guess. Um, and after that, there, there was a new spokesperson um, who at first was... Um, said that they would be happy to answer my questions and then kind of just stopped speaking to me around around this time of last year. So I haven't had any um, 
I've been ghosted by the Pentagon for a year. <laughs> well, you, you know, they've been under siege and I can understand that. And supposedly there's a new statement that's supposed to be issued from the Pentagon. But I, I want to come back at, and I understand that it was a, a, a private conversation that was off the record. But I'm really more interested in the kind of the character of it. Okay, we got more with Sarah, Kurt, Gina Randall. We're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Tahibo Tea Club's original pure pow Arco Super Tea comes from the only tree in the world that fungus doesn't grow on. So it naturally has antifungal, antiviral, antibacterial, anti-infection, anti-inflammation, and anti-parasite properties. But maybe more importantly, Tahibo Tea Club's original pure pow Arco Super Tea builds corpuscles in the blood which carry oxygen to our organs and cells. Our organs and cells need oxygen to regenerate themselves. The immune system needs oxygen to develop, and cancer happens to die in oxygen. The tea is great for healthy people, and it can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. Tahibo Tea Club's original pure Pau Arco Super Tea is only $34.95 plus shipping. Order now at ShopSuperTea.com or call 818-984-6100. That's ShopSuperTea.com or call 818-984-6100. ShopSuperTea.com. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Yes, all of us are in the Paracast, not just you, folks. All right. So, Kurt was going to ask a question there of Sarah, and we didn't have time to go through it. Kurt? Okay, well, the... Yeah, I understand that the the conversation itself was off the record, but I wanted to ask what kind of level of detail did she have at her command? And when you asked the question, did she have a ready answer? Just if you could kind of characterize that, you know, without specifics. Sure. I would say the level of detail in general was not any higher than the information that has become public. Um, so, so while she was forthcoming and happy to talk about things, details that, that we had in our, um, in, in the conversation that I can't go into, were not more detailed than the things that were on the record, um, you know, about 
how how the videos of these UFOs or UAP came came to light, what the program actually was, I would say that um, she had the level of command of and ability to give information that is what we have right now, which is really, at least in my opinion, not very much at all. The real question was, did she seem to know what was going on? Uh, at the time, I, when I was there, I would say that they were still trying to figure it out. When I was there, she said that they were still gathering documents and getting briefed on the program. So not then, I would say that the amount that she knew what was going on is what we knew now, at least, at least as far as I was told. I'm going to butt in with one more question, and I'm going to let Gene and Randall get get in there. But okay, this, well, this is a fascinating area because you you've got access that that you know just about no one else has, and and pursued this more doggedly than anyone. No one else that I know of has gone in person and talked to him. So I want to examine this a little closely. So when you were talking to her about it, there was something in particular about. I wanted to ask did you did you get anything about the sense? of how big this program was, how important. And, you know, because there, there's the impression that it was uh, this large program. We know now that the, that with the Harry Reid letter that it wasn't funded. It wasn't a special access program. Was this a, guy, a couple of guys at a desk? I mean, did you get a sense of what ATIP really was? Yeah, I would say my sense from my conversations at the Pentagon and the reporting after that was that it was not a large program. Um, and, uh, that I didn't, I didn't get the sense that a lot of people knew about it or that it was a large program. And I think even, even the budget kind of bears that out. $22 million is not, it's a lot of money to me. Um, but it's not a lot of money to the Pentagon. And I kind of, my, my overall sense is that it was a small program that mostly flew under the radar. Okay. Thank you. Something I really like about your book while I was reading it, and I think the best way to describe it is just to read a little short piece, if you don't mind. Sure, go for it. Okay. It's, this is from your book. It seemed, although air does not have a color, to be yellower, like it was in its own transition lens. It got colder. The colors of the pines, the subalpine grasses, and the sky itself seemed matte. Although I hadn't thought of them as glossy before, the scene became perspectiveless, depthless, like a flat medieval painting where everything is right in front of you. That is just fantastic. I love Thank it. Thank you. It's and you read it so like well. You. It's stuff like that that really makes this book worth reading. You know, it's not just about UFOs. It's about experiencing what it's like to be out on the trail investigating something otherly. And and that really came through. In I mean, in my Thank opinion. You. Yeah. Yeah. It was um I, I felt like it was important for me to um to try to experience that and to try to find for myself, you know, the sense of the sense of wonder and discovery and things like that, that I think that people investigating UFOs have had. And um, then to to bring that onto the page 
chapters of the book. I'm um, I actually don't have I, I have been a journalist for a long time now, but I actually went to school for first astronomy and then fiction writing. So I can thank my uh, f- fiction writing degree for helping me write some some descriptive sentences. But um, yeah, it was it was. Some, a, have you written some fiction, too? I have. It's been a long oh. time, but uh, yeah, on my website, there's some some old short stories that that were published around the time that I was in graduate school. So, what was it like then to 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 go on this journey? Tell us just some more about it. Yeah. So I uh, I let's see. Um, I guess it began, the passage you read was from my experience of the solar eclipse that happened a few years ago when I was in uh, Wyoming. And um, it was my first uh, UFO sighting, um, which which kind of prepared me to be going on this this journey, as we call it. Um, I, it was just, it was a strange experience where I felt like I was on the planet that I'd lived on for my whole life, but all of a sudden it was very different. And it seemed to me like I was on somebody else's planet. Um, and then, you know, that, that night I was just, you know, I was camping, I was hanging out with friends and we would go stargazing every night before, before we went to bed. And I saw what I thought was a satellite and what turned out to be a satellite. Um, but going overhead and then all of a sudden a, a bright kind of spotlight from it came and swung down and pointed right at, uh, my friends and me. Um, and for, for a second, we were all like, how does that insane spacecraft know that we are here and what does it want with us? And I think that, that really to start with gave me the perspective on what it might be like to have, uh, a truly unexplained sighting. And, you know, ours turned out to be, um, a satellite from the Iridium constellation just flaring when the sun uh, shines up against it. But I think it really gave me that sense of, of what it can, how it can affect someone's life. And so um, from there, you know, I tried to go uh, seek out the UFO hotspots. Um, I went to Roswell, to the Roswell UFO festival and hung out at area 51 a couple times. Um, went to a little town called Sunspot, which I don't know if it's, it's mostly fallen off of people's radar, but it was a solar observatory that the FBI evacuated and wouldn't tell anyone why. Um, and I went there to try to figure out how conspiracy theories start. And um, so, yeah, that's kind of the overview of a few of the places that I went. And it was mostly me, me road tripping around the American West, <laughs> trying to go to spots where other people had had meaningful UFO experiences. You had to, what, during all of this too, you did take in uh, uh, some UFO conferences and you, your book has some interesting things to say about those as well. Um, maybe you could just give us an overview of, of how that played out for you. Sure. Yeah. The first one I went to was in uh, February 2018. So it was pretty soon after I started researching um, and writing about UFOs and ATIP and everything. And um, I saw that this big conference was coming up and I thought, you know, I haven't had a chance to interact with anyone in person and 
uh, I don't know. I'm a little bit of an, an old school reporter in that way. And I think it's really important to go meet people and talk to them in person when you can. Although I haven't met Kurt, even though I interviewed him, but um, so I flew out to Phoenix and um, attended the international UFO Congress and uh, which is a pretty big conference. And it what struck me about it was you could go from a talk about a secret space program where we have military bases on on Mars or on the backside of the moon to a booth where someone was uh, offering to to put you in touch with, you know, the aliens who are part of our political sphere. <laughs> then you could go. <laughs> I've been to the International UFO Conference occasionally because I live in the Phoenix area. But we'll get into more of that in our next segment, okay, with Sarah Jean Randall and Kurt. You're in the Paracast. Attack of the Rockoids has been well received by critics and readers alike. It's a thrill a minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Hey folks, Tom D for ParanormalDate.com. Are you looking for love in all the wrong places? Now you have a chance to change that by signing up free at ParanormalDate.com. This incredible dating site puts people of like minds together. People who are interested in the strange, the unusual, ghosts, zombies, UFOs, crop circles, and more. ParanormalDate.com was developed for you, people who seek a little more than the other dating services offer. You can join for free by going to ParanormalDate.com, and if you decide you like it and you want to connect with others, use the code GEORGE for a substantial discount. So many people want to share their experiences with the paranormal, the afterlife, the unusual, and this is the place to meet and share common interests with those of like minds. So sign up for free at ParanormalDate.com. That's ParanormalDate.com. Use the code word GEORGE and start meeting others. Get going now and connect with someone you like. Join me, George Norrie, in Indian Wells, California, May 29th to June 1st for the Contact in the Desert UFO Conference, an epic weekend of exploration into UFOs, ancient civilizations, crop circles, and so much more. Over 150 lectures, panels, workshops, and events with leading experts Paul Hellyer, Linda Moulton Howe, Nick Pope, Emery Smith, Stephen Greer, Russell Targ, Doc Wallach, Leslie Kane, and more. Get your tickets at contactinthedesert.com. It's time to make contact, contactinthedesert.com. 
Attention all radio listeners who still need food supplies. If you've thought about the implication of food-related supply chain disruptions and are concerned about the coming quarantines, this will be the most important message you will ever hear. Here's why. In the next few days, all Americans will face extremely hard choices. If we've learned anything from China and Italy, it's that quarantines and enforced lockdowns are just a few days away here in the U.S. Listen, while dehydrated food is becoming scarce, you can still get enough open pollinated heirloom seeds to grow a one-acre crisis garden. The truth is, growing nutrient-dense vegetables in the days ahead may actually be the single most important thing you do. Go to survivalseedbank.com and watch the new video to understand the nature of the threat. This could be life-saving. Lockdowns can last from six to eight weeks. Get free bonus seeds, special quarantine reports too. Go to survivalseedbank.com. That's survivalseedbank.com. Would you like to get back that full head of hair from years past? Now, there is Reveal. Beverly Hills celebrity dermatologist Dr. Nathan Newman took nearly a decade to develop Reveal from natural botanicals to return to a full body head of hair. Reveal for men and women with a 30-day money-back guarantee at GCNLife.com or toll-free 844-443-6637. 844-443-6637. Reveal at GCNLife.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Okay, let's get back to that international UFO conference near Phoenix, Arizona. Okay, we're talking to Sarah Scholes, author of They Are Already Here. You attended the convention and you see that a wide variation of people come there from serious scientific people. Dr. Jacques Vallée was there once, James Fox, who was the director of this new movie, The Phenomenon. So wide variation of people, the late Stan Friedman, etc. Now, yes, I read a story about one of those conventions, Sarah, and I don't know if it's the one that you were at, but they colored the story to suggest it was all for abductees to commiserate with one another. Interesting Uh, way of interpreting it. That is, that is interesting. I was mostly left out of that. I mean, that did, there were abductee sessions of this conference, but actually the, the ones, at least at the international ufo congress specified that no reporters were allowed i think so you wouldn't go listen to people's stories and then write about them so that was going on but i i wasn't privy to any of it yeah the the wide the wide spectrum of people from people showing documents known to be hoaxed all the way to like you said very scientific presentations some statistical work or um yeah also cultural analysis kind of like i was doing and um I, I went to a talk uh, kind of at the end of the conference by Robbie Graham, who talked about how ufology can be, for some people, like a uh, religion. Then I started to think of the conference as like a, a religious gathering for everyone from true, true believers to agnostics to even atheists or UFO atheists or UFO skeptics. And I thought it, I thought it was pretty cool, actually, that all of these people got together and um, I didn't see anyone fighting. Um, I think people got along and were just sharing ideas, which doesn't happen very often these days. In your book, 
you talk about it, you compare it to being like a big tent event, the gathering of a group of sects, militants, agnostics, spiritual, not religious types. It's really interesting. It's I have never been to a UFO conference, and yet I've been in, into ufology for practically my whole life. One of these days, I've got to get out to one. Yeah, you should check it out. Because there we go with the whole cultural aspect of it again. It is huge. I think probably it is the biggest part of the whole subject matter when you really look at it these days. Because when it comes to science and being a science writer, you can tell me if my opinion on this is way off or not. But it seems to me that science requires a certain kind of evidence. It needs to be scientifically verifiable. For one thing, if not material, there just isn't enough of that to do any, I guess, for lack of a better term, what I would call real science. We're, we're just looking at reports more than anything else. I want to jump in here because I've heard people compare the study of black holes and dark matter there in string theory. There's a lot of things that science is dealing with that we're not able to touch and examine yet. And so they say, well, why not UFOs? So, you know, Sarah, what do you think about that comparison? Yeah, it's an it's an interesting comparison, especially because all of astronomy, even the stuff that's not about black holes, it's all just, you know, photons coming from far away. You can't perform an experiment on a distant star or an exoplanet. You know, you do get some hard hard data. But I, I'm gonna I'm gonna counter that with something that somebody told me the other day that I had never thought of exactly, which is that astronomers and those types of physical scientists are not actually the ones who you would want to be interested in this stuff anyway, because it it's not their type of data like they are interested in celestial objects far away and whatever these things are they're close and you wouldn't get data on them from telescopes you want a different kind of scientist maybe an engineer maybe a type of scientist that doesn't exist yet i do think you're right that not all scientists deal in the same types of tangible data tangible objects in the same way hmm. <laughs> trying to keep track of my thoughts it's I a complex subject because because it of it's not a just black or white issue for me it seems like okay when you have something like going back to MUFON or the Mutual UFO Network, which you talk about in your book to some degree, I mean, their motto is the scientific study of UFOs for the betterment of humanity, something along those lines. Well, they're claiming that they can scientifically study UFOs, right? Mm -hmm. So astronomers, mm -hmm. well, they're going, well, we're scientifically studying stars. We can see them. They're repeatable. Mm -hmm. We've got information by way of electromagnetic spectrum that comes off them at predictable times. So we can study them. UFOs, not so much. Yeah, it seems to me that really, if in ufology, if we're going to claim we're doing scientific study of UFOs, we're just setting ourselves up to be accused of pseudoscience. Personally, this is what I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, scientific knowledge is not the only type of knowledge. There are plenty of other disciplines and ways of ways of looking at the world. Like history is a very valid field of study, but it's not science either. And so I think maybe trying to pigeonhole ufology into the traditional definition of science maybe isn't even the best 
way to go. It's just something different. Although kind of related to what, what Kurt was saying, I did a little bit of research into this concept called boundary work, which sociologists talk about when they talk about scientists and how they defend their territory of what counts as science and what counts as data and what doesn't and how that kind of changes over time. And maybe 150 years ago, we would have said trying to study black holes was pseudoscience because we couldn't collect any information really about what they were or were not. And so time changes, science changes, data changes, and the same thing could potentially happen to ufology later, and it could be welcomed into the scientific fold. I tend to think that there is a portion of ufology that if it were possible to study scientifically with valid scientific protocols, that there's a place for that. But that in the meantime, we've got this larger, much larger cultural aspect of it. For example, we've got movies like Close Encounters of the Third Kind. You don't really, I mean, cinematography, sure, you could say there's, there's a science to it, I suppose. But still, I mean, it was in 2007 that it was added to the Library of Congress's National Film Registry, which is the United States Film Board's Preservation Board <laughs> selection of films deserving preservation because of the, their cultural significance. So when, when something that big and important happens that has nothing to do with science, that represents a huge portion and aspect of the field as a whole, I don't think that we can separate ufology as a science from that. I think we need to take it all in together and that probably ufology belongs more in the humanities than it does in the physical sciences. Not only does ufology have its own culture, but it, like like you're pointing out with this movie, it, it impacts broader culture in huge ways. And it's actually, I don't want to get the statistic wrong, but it's something like 68% of people you know, believe that the government is hiding information about UFOs. And that is more people than agree on, you know, most things. Like there's just most well, <laughs> people out there have some, some idea. We got to break it here. We'll pick up on the next segment. More to come. Sarah Jean Randall. Kurt, you're in. The Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Anytime, any place, anywhere, radio remains the most intimate of all forms of media. At home, at work, in the car, on smartphones. Over 90% of consumers still listen to radio every week. That makes choosing radio as a place to advertise your business one of the best decisions you can make. Email advertise at GCNlive.com and partner up with an experienced GCN representative. Advertise at GCNlive.com. Easy, affordable, effective. Would you like to get back that full head of hair from years past? Now, there is Reveal. Beverly Hills celebrity dermatologist Dr. Nathan Newman took nearly a decade to develop Reveal from natural botanicals to return to a full-body head of hair. Reveal for men and women with a 30-day money-back guarantee at GCNLife.com or toll-free 844-443-6637. 844-443-6637. Reveal at GCNLife.com. USA Radio News with Wendy King. 
Vice President Mike Pence and wife Karen tested for the coronavirus because one of Pence's staff members has tested positive. If you don't have symptoms, don't do a test. It is another way that the American people can make sure that we are preserving the resources that our health care workers need to minister and to support those who are dealing with the coronavirus and other illnesses. They tested negative for the virus. In the past 24 hours, 793 people have died in Italy. It's not only Italy's deadliest day, but the deadliest day so far. Swamped hospitals could be our new reality, warns Dr. Michael Ryan of the World Health Organization. This is not normal. This isn't just a bad flu season. These are health systems that are collapsing under the pressure of too many cases. This is USA Radio News. Hey, travelers, do you want to save money on your next flight? Then pick up the phone and call. That's right, call, because the best prices are not online. They're with SmartFares. See, SmartFares has special deals with the airlines. When they have unsold seats, they use SmartFares to fill them. So you get airline tickets at ridiculously low prices. Our prices are too low to publish online. With the extra money you'll save, you can book another trip or treat yourself to dinner or shopping. So stop searching all of those travel sites to find the lowest price on your next flight. Let one of our SmartFares expert travel agents find ridiculously low prices for you. Call SmartFares today and get the best price on your next flight. Guaranteed. Also, save up to 50% off business and first-class tickets. 800-871-3291. 800-871-3291. Again, that's 800-871-3291. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. Do you feel like you're losing control over your finances? If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services and take advantage of the Fresh Start program and new laws that may allow us to negotiate a settlement for the lowest amount possible. Our team of tax attorneys and enrolled agents can stop collections and get you protected so you can take control of your financial future. Tax Mediation Services is accredited by the Better Business Bureau. Call now for a free case review and a price protection guaranteed quote. Call Tax Mediation Services now at 800-301-5435. That's 800-301-5435. 800-301-5435. This is Jerome Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast. Back, and Randall wants to talk about something with our special guest. Yeah, just to finish up with where we left off before the break there, uh, you know, we're back to knowing and believing, but I think anyone that does their homework can tell that, yes, the government in the past has definitely known more about it than they were telling us because one of the people you go through in your book again you cover greenwald and the black vault and so on he has dug up all kinds of information out of the freedom of information act that shows that where they were saying one thing and behind the doors other stuff was going on i mean this just continues to come out year after year after year are we really supposed to believe now that they still don't know more than we do when they've got the most advanced detection systems on the planet. I, I think it's pretty reasonable to 
to see why so many people believe the government knows more than we do. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I agree with that. And I think there's there's a line somewhere in the book the, to the effect of, you know, governments are going to government and the way that they have behaved in the past is probably the way they're behaving now. So there's really no reason to think that the, the present is different from what's happened before. Curtis, you've got a question. I have to admit, I have not read the book. I'm only about three chapters in. I, I like what I see. And certainly I like the opinions and the thought that you've put into things in this discussion. So, you know, I, I'm going to give you the benefit of a doubt. But I wanted to ask you kind of what is what would different people tend to get out of this book? If, if a, you know, is a ufologist going to be interested in this? Who, well, just say like a. Um, well, let's say a, a, a scientific-minded person that's interested in things in general. You know, are they going to? What are they going to take away from this book? You know, how, how do you think different people will? Um, you know, what will they find in it? Yeah, well, I for ufologists, I like to think that what what I try to do with each chapter is kind of look at UFOs and UFO culture through a different lens. So like one chapter is about the, the government's history and conspiracies and cover-ups. And one chapter is about, um, you know, trying to investigate things scientifically. And another is about religious aspects or things like that. So what I hope for ufologists is that some, some chapter, some section of it represents their part of the UFO world and that they see themselves reflected accurately there. And that then, I don't know if you're, even if you are the science minded UFO person, all these other types of ufology exist around you. And so I think it's important for anyone in a community to kind of know the full spectrum of what's going on. So hopefully it can do a little bit of that illumination for science-minded people, I think what I hope, science-minded non-UFO people, so scientists or, or lay people who are interested in science but don't know much about ufology, I would hope that they would come to have the, the change of mindset that I had after I started working on the book, um, which is that... Uh, you know, ufology is full of interesting, smart people doing really good work. And also that, that aside from that, the idea of the UFO, you shouldn't just dismiss its, its reality or not. Um, you should be interested in it, I think. And so uh, maybe undoing a little bit of that boundary work that I mentioned before of, of who counts and who doesn't in scholarship and serious science. And for just people who don't know anything going into the subject, hopefully, I don't know, maybe it in inspires them to explore the topic a little bit or maybe take a road trip to Area 51. Um, and for all of them, I guess I just hope that they uh, enjoy enjoy reading it and don't burn it or throw it across the room. Hey, well, I wanted to ask you, Sarah, what kind of reaction yeah. have you had so far to the book? I know it was only published early in March, but what have you heard? Yeah, I've had a, a whole mix of things, which I, I think is good. I think some of my science journalist colleagues and I have had conversations about it from from that perspective of, um, you know, taking a little bit more seriously these areas that, that a lot of people think of as pseudoscience and some, some people in my field saying that it's helped them to think of it that way. Um, and some ufologists who like it and think that a, a cultural commentary on what's going on in ufology is good and 
some people like the investigation into ATIP in the Pentagon program, um, which I think, you know, a lot of that is, is other people's research that I pulled together with my own research. And then there's, you know, there are people, there are a fair number of UFO people who, who don't like it, who don't like the criticism of uh, ATIP and to the Stars Academy and the hard look that I took at that. And also who don't, necessarily like being put under a looking glass as as a community and being commented on from the outside which is which is fair i like it no i think this is good i think i think people in ufology need people outside ufology to tell us what it's like from outside the ketchup bottle i really do good well thank you i appreciate that I got into a Twitter fight. <laughs> I, hope I, didn't, I hope I didn't ruin the chances for your book. But, you know, there were some people that were slamming it. And, you know, I, I basically said we've wanted the media. We wanted people with the scientific background interested in ufology. You've got that. And, you know, you're not going to like everything she says, but you invited these kind of people in. Why are you why are you fussing about it now? <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. And um, I think, I mean, I'm biased because it's my book, but I, I think it's true. I think if you if you want mainstream attention, you have to you have to take take what comes with that, which is that people aren't going to like everything that I have to say. And, um, you know, I don't like everything that they have to say. So but I, I also think it's it's OK for us to disagree. It's OK for them to not like everything I have. I have to say, but um, hopefully they'll think it's worth reading at least. Well, there are. And, and, you know, I I don't like to have to admit that this goes on. When I look at ufology, I tend to be as objective as I can. I look at the whole thing, the positive and the negative, and just the whole thing as one big group of things that you can put inside a box and say, all of it is ufology. And in there, there's some pretty dark stuff. And we've had people come on in the past who've been skeptical, really nice people. Like I mentioned, Sharon Hill, she won't even do interviews anymore, not because of us. We loved her. But there are people who run into some pretty negative characters out there. And it's it's part of something to look out for. So, you know, I hope you don't run into that. But part of what I wanted to ask you is coming into it from the outside. Were you able to see the territoriality that was going on in, in you know, with the conferences and the different players? Yeah, I think I was. I'm sure I'm sure coming from the outside, I don't have a full handle on it. But I think it helped that I kind of came into it at the same time that the the ATIP story was breaking, because I feel like there were a few sides to that. There were people who had been around for um, a while who had some experience with the the history of ufology and the history of dealing with government programs and things like that, um, who were a little more skeptical of this coming in. And then I feel like there was this whole m- largely new group of people who got into it because of this um, this program and the private company to the Stars Academy that that popped up around the same time. So those were the two territories that I saw right away. And then and then later I saw the others like the the like kind of grassroots 
community stuff um like the the MUFON meetings that I attended here where people were like really not even connected to UFO internet at all but just kind of doing their own on the ground thing and then the spiritual or consciousness related things but but yeah the fans of to the stars academy and the atip program versus the people who wanted to take a more critical look at it was the biggest territory thing that i saw going on right away we have other things going on okay and we have this fascinating book that i have to get to reading myself they are already here is the book sarah scholes is the guest kurt collins joins us on the panel with gene and randall you're in the paracast for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. This is Fred. Uh, hi, I'm Fred. Fred's a repeater. I tend to repeat. Fred has a business. I do have a business. And a problem. Fred repeats the same tired advertising over and over, and now it doesn't work. Over and over. But Fred is about to see a vision. I'm seeing a vision. Advertising on the Genesis Communications Network is the smart way for Fred to reach his potential customers with the most affordable national advertising rates, period. Get started today with GCN, the Genesis Communications Network. Just email advertise at GCNlive.com. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. I started fighting the IRS over 40 years ago when they tried to seize my mother's house. I sued the IRS and won. I beat the IRS then, and I've been beating them ever since. I wrote the book on tax debt settlement, and I've helped thousands of people deal with tax problems they thought might never be solved. I can help you too. If you owe taxes you can't pay, don't wait another day. There's no such thing as a hopeless tax case. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, danpilla.com. That's danpilla.com, danpilla.com. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip-flop all night long. I would wake up with a sore neck, maybe a headache, or feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. When I invented my pillow, I wanted it to where you could move the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual, regardless of sleep position. My pillow will get you into that deep REM sleep faster and you will stay there longer. It's not about how much time we spend in bed, it's about how much of that quality sleep we get. I do 
all of my own manufacturing right here in the United States. I have a 10-year warranty. You can wash and dry my pillow, and I give you a 60-day money-back guarantee so you have nothing to lose. And here's my best offer ever. You can buy one of my pillows and get one absolutely free. Go to MyPillow.com or call 800-870-0305 and use promo code GCN. That's MyPillow.com or 800-870-0305 with promo code GCN. I'm here with Scott Uceum, founder of OMG Tax. Tell us how your company helps our listeners out there who have a problem with the IRS. My team of lawyers, enrolled agents, and licensed tax experts remove wage garnishments sometimes in the same day. We even have reduced the total debt some of our clients were required to pay through what is known as an offer in compromise. Can you give us an example of somebody you help? Oh, can I ever? We have taken a $500,000 liability with the IRS. Guess what? The client didn't pay a dime through the representation known as non-collectible status with the government. If you owe the IRS more than $10,000 and you want to see if it's possible to pay a lot less, call OMG Tax right now for a free tax-saving consultation. Call 800-486-8112. 800-486-8112. That's 800-486-8112. Hi, this is Joshua P. Warren, author of The Poor Man's Paranormal, and you're listening to The Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. We've got Sarah Scholes, the book, they are already here. We're looking at the UFO culture with Kurt Collins, Randall and Jean. Kurt, you have a question? have read enough of your book and and talked to you a little bit and understand that you were inspired by the movie Contact. Could you tell us a little bit, bit about that? Sure. Yeah, I had always been interested in astronomy since I was very, very young. And then the movie Contact came out when I was about 12 years old. Um, and for anyone who hasn't seen the movie, this is about a scientist who is um, searching for extraterrestrial intelligence using radio telescopes and then she she gets a signal she finds a broadcast builds a spaceship and tries to go meet them um, and I won't spoil the ending but that's that's the gist of it and um, I was very obsessed with this movie when I was a kid and I would make my parents go blockbuster all the time and rent it and rewatch it. What was fascinating to me about it was, um, you know, I had been interested in aliens for a long time. I used to sit around my house drawing fake planets and the fake beings that I thought would live there. But even through all that, I didn't know that it was anyone's job to be investigating that scientifically. And I also didn't know that it was anyone's job or or that it was possible to point a telescope at the universe and collect radiation that you couldn't see with your eyes. So there was this whole invisible universe out there that I didn't know about at all. And um, so those two things, the ability to use science to answer these big questions are we alone? What are we doing here? How did the universe evolve? I just, I found that to be fascinating. And right after I watched the movie, I decided that I wanted to be a radio astronomer. I decided I wanted to do SETI maybe. Yeah, I was, I was just totally inspired by this movie. I don't think you, we've mentioned your, your first book, have we? I don't think so. 
No. Let's hear a bit about that. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. So the main character of that movie, who is played by Jodie Foster, um, is based on a real scientist named Jill Charter, who has spent, uh, who I mentioned earlier, I guess. She, she spent about 40 years heading up the search for ex- extraterrestrial intelligence. I uh, wanted to write a book, and so I was trying to think about what would I like for long enough to spend to write, you know, 250 pages on it. And I thought back to what what had inspired me the most when I was little, and I thought about contact and SETI. Um, and then I wrote Jill Charter an email and said, "Can I?" write your biography. No one's done it yet. And so um, it took a little doing, but eventually she said yes. And so I I moved to California and spent a bunch of time with her and um, just chronicling her life, going through her photo albums, shadowing her to meetings and wrote up the story of her life and and study and how it's progressed since the 60s. How fascinating. Yeah, it was fun. That's like some kind of lottery ticket winner there, that email. How do you connect like that? That is amazing. (laughs) Well, actually, it goes back to the Green Bank Observatory. The first week that I started my job there was the 50th anniversary of the first search for extraterrestrial intelligence that had taken place there. And so there were all these famous SETI people who'd come to the conference and my boss actually she knew i didn't know how to do anything yet because i just started my job so she said why don't you drive this bus of famous study people down to the telescope um and when i did that and then drove them back (laughs) and didn't crash it somebody left their purse on the bus and i I pulled out the wallet to look at who's it whose it was and it was jill tarter and i was like here is my lottery ticket i get to give jill tarter back her purse (laughs) Um, wow. So I chased her down and gave it back to her and she remembered it. So when I wrote her the email that said, hey, can I write this book? I said, I'm I'm that kid who returned your purse a couple of years ago. So oh, I'm, a, I'm a good person and I can <laughs> totally write a book. Um, That's OK. Now we believe in synchronicity, I think. Uh, <laughs> right. that, that, that it's is all wonderful. a simulation. Yeah, no, it was great. It was very good. But in on one thing real quick, because you just reminded me of something. My brain is basically mush right now because I've been researching some stuff. And a lot of it involves Robert Bigelow. And I happen to come across Jill Tarter's name in connection with him. And, and I'm going to have to find where I ran across it. But the story was that they were together at some event and he brought up the topic of UFOs. And he saw whatever her reaction was, whether she stiffened up. He realized that he should drop the top the topic. Do you happen to know anything about her interaction with Robert Bigelow? No, I don't. Um, I would like to, though. Um, I'd be interested in reading that story. I, I, I mean, I guess it doesn't surprise me that they crossed paths, but I she never mentioned it and I never found it. But that's fascinating. And I guess it, it wouldn't surprise me that she had that reaction um, about UFOs. She's not. She's not really a fan, but she is willing to look at look at evidence where it exists. So she's not she doesn't totally dismiss it. Well, of course, uh, Contact, that was written by Carl Sagan and adapted for film by he and his wife, Anne Druyan. Mm-hmm. So Carl Sagan, of course, being the famous astrobiologist, scientist, maker of Cosmos, very popular series uh, back in the day, one I would not miss. And a couple of the things, uh, I love the movie too. I've got it on Blu-ray and, 
here's just a few little parallels between uh, contact and ufology. So SETI scientists receive an alien message through their radio telescope. Similarly, real UFOs have been tracked on radar, which uses similar technology. In the movie Contact, the main character is transported to an alien world where she communicates with an alien intelligence, yet she is unable to secure any proof that that experience actually happened. Similarly, real-life UFO witnesses and investigators know what they experienced is real, yet the only ones who can truly empathize with them are those who have been through the same process. Real scientists have worked on both real-life SETI projects and real-life UFO projects, including Carl Sagan himself. Yeah, yeah, there's, that's a very good point. And there's a very powerful scene at the end of Contact where the main character, Ellie Arroway, is called before Congress to testify about her experience that she has no proof of. And she is kind of in the position that she has criticized others for being in in the past of of having no proof, but saying, I know this happened to me and I I wish that you could experience it, but I can't give that to you. And you're just going to have yeah. to believe me or not. So, yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting parallel and an interesting reversal. It's an, it, definitely an interesting development in character, because uh, when you see her on the way to the big dish, well, she was in, the, I think, in the film, she was working at the VLA, the very large array. And mm-hmm. when when she was on the road, there were all these UFO culture people on the side with their trailers and alien heads and and peace and space brothers and she's just looking at them like oh brother <laughs> like those people are, <laughs> they are way out there you know and and then yeah. she has that experience herself i i don't yeah, know if i was to though i don't you know was it matthew mcconaughey right i mean okay mm-hmm. the religious side of things i i don't know i still have a bit of trouble with ufology being compared you know seriously to a religion you know maybe that's just because i'm inside the ketchup bottle and i'm not religious so Mm -hmm. to me it's like no you know you're accusing me of being religious i'm not religious (laughs) yeah i i mean as as a person who's drawn that parallel i will have to um I, I will say for, for myself, when I talk about it that way, I'm only talking about a specific subset of people who do think of it that way. I definitely don't think that everyone um, who's doing ufology interacts with it that way. Sarah, we're going to break in about a minute, and I want to throw a question out here that maybe you can answer in our next segment, which is people who claim to have been in contact with higher beings, extraterrestrial intelligences, etc. And we know the example of the Jodie Foster character in the movie Contact, which I also enjoyed very much. But in our real world, as opposed to the REEL world, we have these people who claim these ongoing experiences. We can date them back many decades. And of course, over the centuries, there have been people who claim to have been in touch with higher beings, what is your assessment of them? Are they dreaming? Have they had something real happen to them that we don't understand and they don't understand? Is somebody manipulating them to believe these days they're space brothers? So complicated. A thousand questions and more. Sarah Scholes, the book is They Are Already Here. Our ads are already here. You'll listen to them now with Gene, Sarah Randall, and Kurt Turin. The Paracast. 
for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive PowerCast things that you can buy. We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items and entails T-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the PowerCast jumbo tote bag, all sorts of T-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a PowerCast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.thepowercast.com, store.thepowercast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, you know, great T-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children. Stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the PowerCast. You go to store.thepowercast.com, stop by, and take a shopping tour. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip-flop all night long. I would wake up with a sore neck, maybe a headache, or feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. When I invented my pillow, I wanted it to where you could move the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual, regardless of sleep position. My pillow will get you into that deep REM sleep faster, and you will stay there longer. It's not about how much time we spend in bed. It's about how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all of my own manufacturing right here in the United States. I have a 10-year warranty. You can wash and dry my pillow, and I give you a 60-day money-back guarantee so you have nothing to lose. And here's my best offer ever. You can buy one of my pillows and get one absolutely free. Go to MyPillow.com or call 800-870-0305 and use promo code GCN. That's MyPillow.com or 800-870-0305 with promo code GCN. Standard of Paranormal Radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. So, Sarah Scholes, my long involved question the UFO contactee, what's your assessment? Yeah, that's a hard question. I think, well, first, I will say I don't. No. And in my own research, I I didn't do very much with direct contactees or abductees or experiencers. But I think my best assessment that I would have is that it is probably some version of all of the above. Just Just like with UFOs, you know, there are some things people are seeing that are readily explainable some things that are classified military aircraft some things that we don't know um and i think the same is probably true of of whatever is going on with people's people's contact yeah I just, which is a non-answer i know but um <laughs> i'm That's trying to weasel good, my way out of it no, that was a pretty good non-answer <laughs> yeah, she's done a good way of weaseling herself out of it i yeah. want to ask you since we talk about government experiences and government experimentations 
Do you have a feeling at all? I don't know how far you've gone back in studying the field that from time to time people see secret weapons, whatever, test aircraft, and the government would rather have them say it's UFOs or UAPs to divert attention, a deliberate operation? Yeah, I had numerous people tell me that that had gone on specifically in relation to Area 51 and the aircraft developed there. When I went out there and spoke to a guy named Jorg Arnu, who's lived there for a long time and helped organize uh, the group of you know pilots and engineers who used to work there, um, they talk about how the military and intelligence community would kind of not necessarily so disinformation about what was going on, but like foster the the UFO interpretations that were already there so that if you just let people think that when they they're seeing a classified aircraft, that it might be a UFO in the traditional sense of sense of the term, then they're not going to pay the same kind of attention to it as they would if it were a secret weapon or a really cool plane. And also the people they tell, lots of them aren't going to believe them. So it's kind of a, a passive way of diverting attention, I guess. And that's not hard for me to believe that that went on. I think that touches on something pretty important. You know, there is there has long been a a certain camp that has said, well, UFOs are really secret aircraft. And it's not a good explanation, not for everything. I don't think any answer is good for everything. But that does explain some things. And I I happened to run across this uh, ufologist who was an ex-military analyst for NSA. And he was on on the secret aircraft thing. And he thought in particular, this explained some of the sightings of um, border incursions where you had a spy plane or something going across. They didn't want to say anything about it. And he gave a specific example that was was pretty good. There was a UFO report in uh, 2008 in Iran. And I think something subsequently came out that, that proved that that was one of our planes. But there was absolute silence from the Air Force. And it's just as you say, it was a passive cover. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you you make a good point also that it doesn't that it doesn't explain everything. It's maybe an interesting subset, but not all of it. Going back to just before the break, when we were talking about ufologies of religion, it's really nice to hear that you don't lump all UFO believers into that camp. Because, you know, while I know of UFO cases where UFOs have been tracked on radar, I don't know of any cases where Jesus has been tracked on radar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do. I can't tell you about them. Oh, I, I see. Oh, all right. <laughs> They're on a need to know basis only. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, talking about the culture, which is so much of your book, have you run into an overlap? Um, well, for example, did you happen to run into any Bigfoot people or there, there are other belief systems of you know that that are similar and also lack the evidence. You know whether it's Loch Ness monster or whatever. Did you did you run into any th- that those people? I mean, it may not have come up in your research, but there's you know even among uh, UFO conferences, they they deal in uh, crop circles and some other things that are not directly related. So, uh, what did you find about that? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't think that I spent. Uh, at least maybe some people I knew did have those overlapping beliefs, but we didn't talk about them. But I think 
there there was kind of a demographic book I read um, whose name is escaping me, um, but it was about just who who believes in different things that are vaguely paranormal and that one of the biggest predictors of whether you believed in one kind of paranormal thing was whether you believed in another, just like how to tell the way you'll vote on a certain issue is how you voted on another issue and what party you're part of. But what I more ran across was, um, and, and this doesn't apply to everyone I talked to at all, but that people were more likely to believe in uh, conspiracy theories, different, um, mostly government related conspiracy theories if they, um, were deep, deep into UFOs. Um, but again, not everyone. And, um, I think, I think that makes sense to me because, um, in ufology, like we've talked about, there's a huge history of a reason to have a, a distrust of the government and government information and government investigations. And so once once you have a good reason to stop trusting the information that's given to you, then it's like a, a smaller step to think, well, maybe this other information I'm getting is also not accurate. And that, I don't know, I feel like that's a reasonable reaction to have. I have an interesting opinion that comes through whenever we consider distrust of the government. We're seeing that now with the coronavirus and how it was handled and the spin about that, which is that if our government admitted tomorrow that extraterrestrials are visiting us, a very substantial portion of the population would disbelieve it. Don't you think? Yeah, probably. Yeah, it would be interesting to know which percentage that would be. Like if it's if it's the people who do believe in UFOs more now and distrust the what the government is saying, then would they also distrust the admission or would it be the people who didn't believe in the first place? I wanted I to jump know. in. I'm oh, sorry. I wanted to, to jump in about that. One of the, I, you know, I'm really interested in how certain UFO ideas originated. And one of the things I, I kind of gave up on investigating after spending a lot of time on it was how did the the government cover up idea begin? The distrust related to it. And so I went back and was just kind of looking for similar terms in the 40s. And I found it probably goes back much further than this. But I found people asking. A question like, why isn't the government telling us about FM radio? And then the same thing with the uh, atomic energy, because there was a lot of confusion and, and mystery over that, you know, because, you know, that the Manhattan Project, it kept it secret. So people didn't know it was it was suddenly introduced in their lives. They'd been kept secret by the, the government and atomic energy was a big one. But even FM radio, you know, they, they thought the government was holding something back, wouldn't wouldn't tell them how it's used. And of course, some people thought that waves were going to interfere with their brains and things. But so, you know, this goes much further back than UFOs this isn't exclusive to it. And I'm sure in your research, you came across the uh, the CIA study and they even likened mm -hmm. it to the Kennedy assassination. And that once the idea is rolling, it's it's never it's never going to be let go. There are certain it's going to be repeated and believed. So um, I don't. Did you have any thoughts related to that? Yeah, yeah. I think I think the biggest one that comes up for me is that once, like you say, it kind of takes hold. Um, uh, the the disbelief and distrust takes hold. There's almost nothing that can dislodge it because it becomes 
unfalsifiable. Like if if then the government comes out and says we have aliens, that could just be propaganda. And if they say they don't, then they're hiding them. And um, mm-hmm. no we way have to, to hide something else. We have to hide something else here, folks. And then we'll get back to this question with Gene, Sarah, Randall, Curtis. You're in the Paracast. <laughs> Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attention all radio listeners who still need food supplies. If you've thought about the implication of food-related supply chain disruptions and are concerned about the coming quarantines, this will be the most important message you will ever hear. Here's why. In the next few days, all Americans will face extremely hard choices. If we've learned anything from China and Italy, it's that quarantines and enforced lockdowns are just a few days away here in the U.S. Listen, while dehydrated food is becoming scarce, you can still get enough open pollinated heirloom seeds to grow a one-acre crisis garden. The truth is, growing nutrient-dense vegetables in the days ahead may actually be the single most important thing you do. Go to survivalseedbank.com and watch the new video to understand the nature of the threat. This could be life-saving. Lockdowns can last from six to eight weeks. Get free bonus seeds, special quarantine reports too. Go to survivalseedbank.com. That's survivalseedbank.com. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but soon you'll need a plan and place to survive. Forget bunkers. You're not a live underground gopher. You need survivalist camps, the ultimate fully functional off-the-grid mobile survival bug outhouse that's well-equipped and custom-built to outlast any other RV or trailer. Bold statement, you bet. See them now at survivalistcamps.com. That's survivalistcamps.com. Trust your family's survival to survivalistcamps.com. I don't even recognize myself anymore. I'm really worried about him. His addiction. I haven't seen him like this. Ever. Hey, look, I I never wanted to start using. I I knew the drill, but I was out of options. I I just want to tell him it's not your fault. There are people out there who can help. People who have felt your pain. They know what you're going through. This has to stop. I'm losing everything. Everyone. You've been strong your whole life. You can do this, but you have to reach out for help. It's time. I can do this. Addiction is a disease, and diseases need treatment. Call Quit Drugs 321 now at 800-377-1456. 800-377-1456. That's 800-377-1456. Paid for by the Detox and Treatment Helpline. 
This is George Dory from Coast to Coast AM and History Channel's Ancient Aliens. We support the amazing energy, nutrition, and skincare products from Jeunesse. Jeunesse products are designed by leading doctors in their field with natural ingredients and even stem cell technology. These products help your body perform and look better. Shop Jeunesse at GCNLife.com or call 1-844-443-6637. GCNLife.com or 844-443-6637. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Sorry I had to cut you short there, Sarah, but we have this polarized society. We have facts and alternative facts two different versions and that's why i raised the question but i don't think obviously was true for now and we can go back through the years about the opposition to government positions a lot of the modern ufo era emerges from the writings of major donald kehoe and had you ever looked into those yes some it's been a while since i've looked at them directly it was early on in my research but i did look at them yeah And he, early on, back in the mid-50s, wrote a book called The Flying Saucer Conspiracy. And that says it all. There was a silence group within the government that knew UFOs were spaceships, and he had to properly lobby them to get them to confess. But then again, Keogh had this organization called NICAP that he took control over. And there certainly have been stories over the years that NICAP may have been a government front because one of the board people on Keogh's organization was the first head of the CIA who was a classmate of Keogh's. So there you go with that. Yeah, it's suspicious. If if the government came out tomorrow and said, we we have the aliens, how, how do you all think people would react? Because you hear both sides, that people would freak out and society would collapse and you also hear people would be happy and you also hear that nothing would happen so i'm I'm curious what side you all fall on that's what this covid 19 is really all about the aliens (laughs) are coming they want us all indoors and pretty soon they're gonna land hmm you know i really don't know there there are all sorts of of reactions that that are possible here's what's going to happen People are going to try to find, make a buck off of it. There's going to be a tourist industry. That's that's what people are going to do. They're going uh, the to exploit obvious. it. The obvious, yeah. Which TV crew can get there first? For sure. <laughs> Always true. Yeah. Which is why they're keeping us all indoors. You know. So let's face it. There are people who maintain this is some kind of plot. I mean, early on, we have certain people that we shall not name who said it was really a plot by a certain political party to cause trouble for the other person who represents the other political party. So it was a political plot before everybody embraced it. But even then, I guess if you haven't suffered from this condition, you could say, well, obviously it's a fake. And if you have, it's just a flu. So there you go. It depends on whom you believe. And again, with UFOs, we have the same thing. But then again, another interesting aspect, I don't know if you've followed this, is the feeling that, 
over the years, the government has done psyops operations early on. Some of the early sightings, the ghost rockets, the Roswell case. There's a former MUFON director, James Carrion, who wrote a book called The Roswell Deception and also The Rosetta Deception, saying this was psyops to spook the Russians in some fashion. So you can see where that belief may have emerged. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, basically, more seriously, what would happen is that like we were talking about before, there's this whole range of evidence that is required for different people to believe the claim. And so there would be, just like there are people today who don't believe we landed on the moon or that the earth is a sphere, there would be certain people who, short of getting on a mothership and having a tour, would just think it's not really happening. It's some sort of ploy or deception created by probably the government or something like that. Even if they came aboard a UFO, they think it was a fake. <laughs> yeah, I, yep, there probably are a few who just simply wouldn't believe it at all. Yeah, I've had discourse with some of them. They would just claim that they were having some sort of a hallucination or it just never happened. Or they would just refuse to go. They'd get into that state of cognitive dissonance where it just isn't happening. And then, and they'd go back to playing their golf game or whatever it is that they were doing. You know, so unless it landed right on the green, right in front of them, and their golf ball bounced off and they had to go up and complain to, you know, the UFO not that, like, look, you're ruining my game. They just simply wouldn't believe it. You know, we mentioned uh, politics, and I don't want to talk about that, but Sarah, did you happen to interact with any politicians or or, or even just government figures besides the, the Pentagon interview and in your research? No, I didn't. That would be an interesting future direction, but I, re- I, I didn't, unfortunately, this time. Have you? No, but there's one there's one UFO researcher, Grant Cameron, who makes uh, he's got a site presidential UFO. You know, anytime the word, even if a president makes a joke about UFOs, he catalogs it and thinks it's of ultimate importance. So um, I I think that's a little little over the top there. But it is interesting sometimes, you know, what what has been said. So so your but as far as your official reaction, that that was interviews. It was limited to the Pentagon. You didn't happen to to talk to. Well, I don't know. Did you reach any Navy or Air Force pilots or anything like that? I I did not at the during the research, but I have read their accounts um, in other other sources. And I think I mean, I think politicians in general especially at the lower levels are probably they're probably kind of a somewhat representative subset of the rest of us and that there's a certain percentage of them who are just naturally interested in ufos and would like to have more information and i mean like like the things that grant cameron catalogs um you know there are incoming presidents who joke about releasing the ufo files and campaign managers who are super into it and and lobby to get information released and so i think there's i think there's a fair amount of interest within government just like there is outside of it of course you're talking about john podesta hillary clinton bill clinton but we've had this situation over the years where presidential candidate or president says yeah they're going to get to the bottom of it and that statement goes through the black hole And no one ever hears from it again. They don't answer it. And those who are president now will say, 
Well, I don't know, or something like that. I think when Sarah Huckabee Sanders was the PR person, the press secretary for President Trump, she was asked, what does she think about UFOs? She said she would ask him. And that was the beginning and end of that comment. I, I want to chime in on, on Bill Clinton. So, you know, you mentioned you mentioned Hillary. Well, Bill Clinton initiated some UFO research. The uh, you know, I mentioned we were talking earlier about the CIA report by, by Haynes. Another thing that came out of that was that Roswell report. Ufologists hate both of those. Bill Clinton was trying to find out UFO secrets, and this came out mostly negative information. Do we really want politicians stirring things up? And we do we want answers from the government? You know, I don't want a ministry of truth. I think, uh, you know, science, you know, and evidence and hopefully ufologists will provide the information and let people decide. But I, I really don't want the government ruling on the reality of of anything beyond whether or fact the fact or not there are, are objects out there that we can't explain. We got to break it here and we'll we'll continue with that. Kurt, Sarah, Jean and Randall, you're in the Paracast. You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Would you like to get back that full head of hair from years past? Now, there is Reveal. Beverly Hills celebrity dermatologist Dr. Nathan Newman took nearly a decade to develop Reveal from natural botanicals to return to a full-body head of hair. Reveal for men and women with a 30-day money-back guarantee at GCNLife.com or toll-free 844-443-6637. 844-443-6637. Reveal at GCNLife.com. Are you afraid to go to the mailbox because of letter after letter from the IRS? Are they stacking on more and more penalties and interest? By now, you know the problem won't go away on its own. Don't let the IRS chase you to your grave with penalties and interest and liens and levies. You need real help now. I'm Dan Pilla. I wrote the book on tax debt settlement, and I helped thousands of people solve tax problems they thought couldn't be solved. I can help you too. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, danpilla.com. That's danpilla.com, danpilla.com. USA Radio News with Wendy King. Vice President Mike Pence and wife Karen tested for the coronavirus because one of Pence's staff members has tested positive. If you don't have symptoms, don't do a test. It is another way that the American people can make sure that we are preserving the resources that our health care workers need to minister and to support those who are dealing with the coronavirus and other illnesses. They tested negative for the virus. In the past 24 hours, 793 people have died in Italy. It's not only Italy's deadliest day, but the deadliest day so far. Swamped hospitals could be our new reality, warns Dr. Michael Ryan of the World Health Organization. This is not normal. This isn't just a bad flu season. These are health systems that are collapsing under the pressure of too many cases. This is USA Radio News. Hey, travelers, do you want to save money on your next flight? Then pick up the phone and call. That's right. 
Call, because the best prices are not online. They're with SmartFares. See, SmartFares has special deals with the airlines. When they have unsold seats, they use SmartFares to fill them. So you get airline tickets at ridiculously low prices. Our prices are too low to publish online. With the extra money you'll save, you can book another trip or treat yourself to dinner or shopping. So stop searching all of those travel sites to find the lowest price on your next flight. Let one of our SmartFares expert travel agents find ridiculously low prices for you. Call SmartFares today and get the best price on your next flight. Guaranteed. Also, save up to 50% off business and first-class tickets. 800-871-3291. 800-871-3291. Again, that's 800-871-3291. Bags under the eyes, crow's feet, fine lines and wrinkles are things adults complain about as they age. Now, there's Instantly Ageless. It works in minutes and is great for men and women. Here's Dr. Sonia Bacha on The Doctors. So this is a product we're going to see if it works. It's called Instantly Ageless. And the idea is that it works very quickly. Is you just need a very small amount. And then you apply it to areas where you might be a little bit puffy. I have just looked at what's in this product. And one of them is something called Argyroline, which is sort of a darling in dermatology right now. It's a peptide or a protein that actually relaxes the muscle. It's also called Botox in a bottle. The other active ingredient in this is silicates, which are almost act like a clay. They're minerals. And they're making the skin sort of tighter. It's actually increasing the surface tension on the skin to push that herniated fat pad back. Try Instantly Ageless today at GCNLife.com. That's GCNLife.com. 30-day money-back guarantee and preferred price discount at GCNLife.com. This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast. Well, we can always speculate here, but the other speculation, maybe Grant Cameron would follow that, Sarah, is that when the president takes office, somebody from a specific project, a black budget project, comes over to him and cites him the riot act and why he can never utter a serious word about the subject ever again. Now, obviously, that's a paranoid theory. On the other hand, if a president takes office and he learns certain secrets like that, something that could really change everything on this planet, how would he or she react anyway? Would they agree or decide it had to keep it under wraps for the time being? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and I, uh, I'm not president, so I don't know, but I think it's one of those things also that, that um, lets us keep looking to the government for answers and keep thinking that there are more there is stuff like that where somebody says i'm going to go get that information as a campaign promise and then it just totally disappears and so you can you can say things like a paranoid theory or you could say oh they didn't find anything in it and so it wasn't interesting but i i like kurt's idea of getting getting away from the idea of a ministry of truth, because no matter what any government revealed about anything, you would never be able to know if it was the whole, the whole truth that they had or the whole truth that was out there. And so I feel, I do feel like it's more productive to keep going at it outside and not wait for someone to hand us all the information that they have. I'm really with you on that, Sarah. Absolutely. And yeah, some really good points there, Kurt, for sure. And this sort of takes us right back to the beginning. Now, in your book, when we were talking about belief 
uh, earlier in the show, you say in your book, if I had a poster on my wall, it would say, I don't want to have to believe as opposed to, (laughs) of course, we all know the, I want to believe you say, I would love to think UFOs are out there and that aliens pilot them, but I'm incapable of thinking that unless I know it. So what for you then would be that evidence that is sufficient for you to justify that belief in the claim? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Going back to our, our previous oh. semantic argument, I, I guess I would say that I'm on the, the higher end of the amount of evidence that it would take for me to move from from faith to knowledge. Um, what yeah. kind of evidence? So, like, let's, let's get into, let's, <laughs> you, like you were saying, well, okay, uh, I think you touched on it briefly that, well, you know, there are s- skeptics and scientists out there that say that uh, firsthand experience doesn't count as data or as evidence. There are others who say it does. Uh, where mm-hmm. are you on on that spectrum? Yeah, I think it would be hard for me to take any person's um, experience on its own as as evidence that was enough for me. Just because I don't I don't really trust our brains or our interpretations of the world, which I think are always contingent on a lot of things and and bad at remembering and bad at interpreting. So it would be it would be hard for me to take a personal experience as enough data. If we combine that, you know, with some with some radar returns or some fast shutter satellite images or things like that, then then maybe we're talking. But I think an interesting question that I don't totally know the answer to is uh, how would I react if the personal experience were mine, like, would oh, I, okay. you know, have, so, have suppose, as much doubt of my own experience su- su- or what I say? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Suppose there were su- sufficient evidence for you, then it might not be while you're out watching the sky, I suppose. Then it may be, well, it might be, would, would a report be sufficient or would you have to have a personal experience as well? Like how far does it have to go? For you, then, if you can't believe anyone else's report, then obviously you need your own. Well, I don't know if I would even believe my own is what is also what I'm saying. I think (laughs) I don't know because if I'm going to be that hard on other people, I should also be that hard on myself. So, um, would you admit yourself um, then to a place of treatment? I I might. I don't know. Or maybe I'd be like Jodie Foster in contact and I would say, well, now I do know because it's my personal experience. And I'm I'm not sure. I think I'd have to be in this situation to know how I would react. In the course of your surveys, and we only have a segment and a half left and probably will want to cover this further in a future episode, Sarah. I assume, expect that you ran across some people who were strictly in the UFO field for the buck. Did you yeah. pay much attention to that in terms of your coverage? Um, I m- mostly stayed away, I think, from from reporting on or from from in-depth interviews with people who seemed to be in it for the money. I was more interested in people who were in it for their for their own internal reasons. I would say that I did I did turn a pretty harsh gaze to to the stars academy the the corporation that kind of spun not not exactly spun out of the pentagon program but has has a lot of the people involved who were associated with that program and um 
they are a public benefit corporation, but they're out to make a profit. And I think that because they are the biggest, the biggest, the biggest show in town right now, um, collecting money from people, I wanted to find out what it was those people's money was going toward. But other than that, it was mostly just regular people. Okay, so to the Stars Academy, we know that Tom DeLong is allegedly worth $50 million. So he's the front man of Blink-182. He's a mid-level rock star because we have people who are worth more than he is, hundreds of millions and a certain former Beatle, uh, like a billion and a half dollars. But then again, is this simply a business to make money? I mean, the site is terrible. You have no idea if you visit that site what it's for. Yeah, I mean, if they, if they, I think they raised a lot less money, a lot, lot less money than they were hoping to. And I agree that if you went to the site, and I think part of it is that they're trying very hard not to say UFO on the site, which makes it hard to tell what they're actually about. But um, yeah, you raise an, you raise an interesting question of why, why would Tom DeLong need money? And if he needed money to fund this operation, why wouldn't he just fund it himself if he has $50 million? So, but I don't know. He, he did not want to talk to me, so I don't have those answers. I like the way that you, you put it in your book. Um, at one point, uh, when you were talking about conferences and the various speakers, uh, one of them was Cheryl Costa, and we've had her on the show. And you say in your book, and this is to quote, Costa is practical, not in awe of herself like other speakers. And this salvo encapsulates her attitude. Who's flying them, she asks herself. Now, for me, this is in sharp contrast to someone like Stephen Greer or, uh, you know, who you also mentioned or... Mm -hmm. Uh, Tom DeLong also uh, we've we've Greer seems to be a sort of wannabe real if you know do you know who real is at all I don't actually know oh mm-hmm. okay yeah that now we're talking actual serious UFO religion so um, yeah uh, the Raelians they uh, are are a serious UFO religion and these people all like you say there are some of them that just seem to be in awe of themselves um can you elaborate on that a little bit more yourself because i just love to hear this (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think (laughs) try not to get myself in trouble um oh no we want we want trouble (laughs) (laughs) okay can i just set this down let's let's tape this in stereo so we can get you in double trouble listen seriously (laughs) speaking we're going to break in about 30 seconds so i'd rather not have you get in trouble in this particular segment, let's wait to the final segment to get you in trouble. Then you'll really have no choice there to do anything about it, except maybe come back to the show, tell us your future plans, maybe try to call down ET and see if they'll just take you away or at least give you a pancake or something. I'm kind of semi serious here. Sarah Scholes is the author of They Are Already Here UFO Culture and Why We See Saucers. Well, I haven't seen any, so. That's a good question. Sarah Jean Randall and Kurt, you're in. The Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. 
As you know, neighbors, web hosting can be pretty cheap, but not all hosting is the same. DreamHost wins best of awards year after year. You get unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, and even the low-cost plans put your sites on high-performance SSDs. Want to know more about what DreamHost has to offer? Go to technightowl.com slash host. Once again, that's technightowl.com slash host. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. With more people listening to radio than visit Google, Facebook, or YouTube, from the very young to the very old, everyone listens to radio. Pillow companies, alarm, identity theft, nutrition, insurance, banking, automotive, the list goes on and on. Billion-dollar businesses. Why? The answer is radio. The media everyone tunes into. Find out how effective and affordable radio can be for your business. Contact 877-996-4327 or advertise at GCNlive.com. Cancer categorizes over 100 diseases. Though we do not diagnose, treat, or cure cancer, GCN team is offering the Clemson University study where there was up to a 95% reduction in cancerous cells when exposed to a plant-derived mineral supplement. If you or a loved one are searching for answers to this horrifying disease, come to GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. We'll email you a copy for free. That's 877-878-4203. If you have diabetes and you're on Medicare, Medicaid, or have private insurance, you may qualify for a new continuous glucose monitor. Managing your diabetes is crucial to your health. The new CGM can automatically and easily help you manage your diabetes more effectively. And by using a CGM, you can eliminate the one thing most people with diabetes dislike the most, finger sticks. Now you can automatically manage your diabetes and end the painful finger sticks. Solara Medical Supplies makes it simple for you to have a new CGM. We'll do all the insurance paperwork for you and deliver the newest in diabetic care technology right to your door. Take charge of your diabetes today with the help of a new continuous glucose monitor. Call now to learn more. 800-547-5331. That's 800-547-5331. Would you like to get back that full head of hair from years past? Introducing Reveal from GCNLife.com. Beverly Hills dermatologist Dr. Nathan Newman invented Reveal, which contains polypeptides with natural botanicals and no parabens, sulfates, silicones, or dyes for a salon-quality hair growth product. Reveal. Here's Dr. Newman. I have treated a lot of patients who lose their hair and they lose their confidence. We've created a unique set of polypeptides, which we call HPT6. The HPT6 contains 
contains the polypeptides from six different plants. The scalp infusion treatment should be used on wet or dry scalp. The Reveal hair care system is designed to be used for men and women alike. Get Reveal at GCNLife.com with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So try Reveal today at GCNLife.com or 844-443-6637. Plus a discount up to 25% off for Reveal at GCNLife.com or 844-443-6637. This is Jacques Vallée, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. So you had my comment in that segment. Do you have any response, Sarah? Yeah, I do. I think that what I mean is when I saw Cheryl Costa speak, she wasn't trying to make her speech about herself or about the cult of personality around her or her personal brand or anything. She just had some information that she had gathered that she wanted to present. And I see that as in contrast to people like Tom DeLonge. Or, as you mentioned, Stephen Greer, just people who have have created a name for themselves and become a kind of UFO celebrity for who they are, in addition to the work they do. So their their personal brand um, and an and air of, of mystery and knowledge and, and being in possession of something that other people are not in possession of. And so it becomes more about who they are than what they are talking about, I think, a lot of times. And I mean, you find that in any kind of celebrity, I think, in any field. So it's nothing, nothing new under the sun in ufology. Well, I know that Tom DeLonge, based on the public comments I've heard, has not contributed an iota to anything in the UFO field, even though he claims to have read all the books, which means he would have had to read one book a second. Maybe he reads one word from each book, and then he puts it down, goes to the next book, and he reads the next word, and that's how he does his research. He knows a word a book. Do you get the impression that maybe we have a similar sort of sentiment here on the Paracast to you, Sarah, and with respect to these people like that tend to hold out their hands for money, especially big money, and you know charge people to we've got people like Greer who charge people to go out on these field trips, and it's quite a substantial amount for some people to do. We know from other people in the field who've also been out. Uh, doing field trips nearby that really he he's kind of trying to convince people that aircraft that are flying over at 40,000 feet are UFOs. Yeah. Yeah. This is a problem. This is a serious problem. I mean, we might make light of it, but I really personally think it's a serious problem. It's taking advantage of, of people and their money and um, exploiting the ideas and interests that they have. And I think, you know, technically a journalist's job is to hold the powerful to account and kind of stick up for the little guy. And that, that is why I took the most critical look at the the people who were taking money from other people. How about those who you believe are sincere? Oh, and before we get to the end of the show here, I just have to ask you why the title, they are already here. No, what exactly and who are you referring to there? <laughs> That's a, a good question because I, I feel like it, it was just a, it was a phrase that I heard, especially 
dealing with SETI, I think, when pe- when people ask, you know, why are you looking for aliens with those telescopes? They're already here. I feel like you hear it a lot in culture. I And so they would be aliens. Um, and it's not meant to imply that it's true. I don't think that they are already here, but I think it's just, it's a phrase that was catchy. And to be totally honest, I wrote, you know, you before you write a book, you write a book proposal and you make up a title and you expect the publisher to change it. And it turns out they just didn't change mine. So that's really how it ended up. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good one. Thank you. You said um, that you've heard it before. I've heard it before, although in contracted form, invasion of the body snatchers, the guys going out, they're already here. <laughs> I like that. I, I haven't actually seen that. I need to watch that. Oh, my. You know, hang up now and go watch it. I know. <laughs> no. <laughs> I might. I'm stuck in my house, so I might as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, the remake starred Leonard Nimoy. Oh, by the way, since we've reached that point here where we're running out of time, having taken this journey, Sarah, Is this it for you? You wrote the book or do you now feel you've become a ufologist yourself and you have to explore and see what's going on? Um, I think I I think I remain an outsider. I wouldn't call myself a ufologist, but I don't think I'm done with the topic. And I actually have a number of Freedom of Information Act requests still out there that are will come back to me. So I will at least write about those. And um I don't know. I enjoy following the ufologists around the internet. And so I'll keep an eye on what everybody's talking about. And hopefully when something interesting pops up, write about it. Do you expect to maybe grow old and see that nothing has ever been solved? It just goes on endlessly? (laughs) Yes, I do. Do you? Well, I've already grown old, so therefore I have seen nothing happen. I liken a lot of what we hear today to Major Kehoe in the 50s. So we go back 60 years. Nothing has changed. Yes, now we kind of agree that UFOs maybe don't come from Mars or Venus. But the basic fundamentals of what they were saying then have been repeated through the years with not that many changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Or at so, least you have to wait and see. I, I, I will have I'm to one wait of the believers. <laughs> I, I've seen one. I've done my homework. I'm one of the believers. And, and it doesn't you know, take just a small amount of information to turn me into a believer. But I mean, with all the people out there who are believers, who have good reasons to believe, at least according to them, how many does it take to make a person seriously question why they're still skeptical at this stage. I mean, I can understand people being skeptical about individual cases, but after thousands and all of this, the rest of it that goes along with it, maybe what you need to do is actually talk to more witnesses who have had firsthand experiences, who believe that they have seen something from out of this world and see how many you have to go through before you finally say to yourself, they're not all lying and something really must be going on. Maybe that's my next project. That's what turned Alan Hynek around. He started off as an astronomer, skeptic. Of course, I'm sure you probably know who that is. After the weight of all of the people that he interviewed, and some of them just outright telling him, unless you see one yourself, who are you to judge what I have seen and what I know? Even though he hadn't seen one himself, after enough people, 
it seems that any reasonable person in the world, and this implies that people who don't believe are unreasonable, I know, but I do think that any reasonable person will have to say, hey, something is definitely going on and it's not our. Do you think that point will come for you if you do enough research? Uh, I, I can't say that for sure, but I do think there's something going on. And I do think that I, I don't know what it is. We can at least agree on that. And I can agree that I should <laughs> yeah. probably read more and talk to more people who have direct experience and yeah, see what happens. Sarah Scholes, please tell our listeners if they want to know more about the things you do. In addition, of course, to writing this book, where do they go? Sure. They can go to my website, which is www.sarahscholes.com. Um, it has pretty much every article I've ever written. And uh, I'm on Twitter at Scholes Sarah. And remember, the book is called They Are Already Here, UFO Culture and Why. We see saucers. They should speak for themselves. I haven't yet. And Sarah has, and we'll go on with that. Anyway, you can find us on Twitter. Speaking of Twitter, look for The Paracast. We also have a couple of places on Facebook. You can look us up. We also have a place, speaking of promoting something, where you can buy branded official Paracast merchandise. Just go to theparacast.shop. The Paracast.shop. Check the listings. Now, Randall and I are still working through the site. There are some minor glitches, but all the orders will go through seamlessly if you want to place an order. And I think we offer competitive prices. We also have the Paracast Plus. What's that all about? For a low subscription rate, you get a copy of this show free of the network ads, higher bit rate, enhanced audio. You also get the After the Paracast podcast. Okay, and this week we feature Kurt Collins talking about an article he co-authored covering Robert Bigelow, MUFON, and some interesting, interesting things that went on there. To learn more, go to theparacast.plus, theparacast.plus. Hey, Kurt, thanks for being a panelist on the show. Oh, it was fun. And Sarah Scholes, happy to meet you. Let's stay in touch, shall we? Yeah, thank you for having me. I had fun, too. The Paracast, featuring Gene Steinberg, is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in The Paracast.